0: to Talk Radio
1: Bless this space. Welcome to Pagan Musings podcast. I'm Rev Kess. Kali Sarah is on the line with me, as well as a number of guests. And before we get officially started with tonight's show, I wanted to let everybody know we are giving you a trigger warning. Uh, tonight's topic is a very sensitive topic Uh, one of uh, sex and ethics and abuse in the magical and pagan world. And yes, we will be talking about the charges against Kenny Klein. Wanted to make it very clear at the beginning of the show that some of what we are talking about may trigger some issues for people, and we respect that if you decide not to listen from this point on. Uh, Those of you who are going to be listening clear through the show, thank you for your patience. Thank you for uh, bearing with us as we try to address this very difficult topic. Um, Kali, Sarah, are you there? Yes. Okay. I am. How do we want to start?
2: Um, Actually, Wow.
0: Do
1: well, we want to start with the official notice that came through via uh NOLA.com's, uh um publication?
2: I, I think that would be best. You know, start let's start with why we we are even talking about this.
1: Okay. Um, In an article written by Juliet Linderman for NOLA.com, published on March 26th of this year, a New Orleans man was arrested on 25 counts of possessing child pornography Tuesday, March 25th, after a Louisiana State Police investigation. Kenneth Klein, 59, was arrested around 7 a.m. at his home. Uh, Detectives in the State Police Special Victims Unit began investigating Klein in February after receiving a tip about his online activities. Upon executing the search warrant of Klein's residence, they discovered on his computer a large volume of explicit photos and videos involving minors under the age of 13 engaging in sexually explicit activities, according to an arrest report. Klein admitted to detectives that the computer was his and that he had used the computer to share and download the explicit material. Klein's bond was set at $250,000 or $10,000 per count. And that's the first report that I saw. And that kind of started the whole thing rolling.
2: Yep. In a way, it makes it easier. We, I mean, he he pretty much admitted it. So, you know we don't have to spend time debating as to whether or not he did it or he didn't do it you know it's it's the fact is it happened, and he's admitted to doing it yes, and um, on top of that i I would like to point out that there has also been a Large number of people who have come forward since this um, making accusations, or I, I don't know that anything official has been done. So let me be clear on that. But um, essentially making accusations that um, they have had experiences with Kenny Klein in in that regard, in a a hostily or aggressively sexual fashion, um, very frequently as underaged individuals. In addition, his ex-wife made a statement that both she and their children had suffered abuse, uh, and she was not specific on the type of abuse, but had suffered abuse at his hand. So there's there's a lot of issues going on, and very little reason to think that they, these allegations are not true.
1: Okay. When you say his ex-wife, are you referring to Zipporah?
2: Um, now you're going to make me remember a name. I probably yeah. That sounds okay. right.
0: Okay.
1: Just wanted to clarify there I, I, I myself am not sure how many times He has been married So it wasn't you know clear In my own mind mm-hmm.
0: there
1: um, Do we want to take this opportunity uh, Early in the show To go ahead and bring on Our uh, two guests that have thus far Called in uh, Do want to say at this point That the only call ins that we are accepting Are those that were scheduled In advance of the show Uh, It's just Colleen, Sarah, and I um, running the board tonight. We don't have uh, somebody to screen calls. So um, if you really do want to uh, chime in with something, please let us know via Instant Messenger on Facebook or in the chat room here on BTR or over on the PAN network uh, so that we are aware. Otherwise, we're not going to be answering any other callers other than those that are pre-scheduled. Um, not that we want to keep anybody from sharing what they want to say, but because this is such a difficult and delicate topic to talk about, we want to be as focused as possible.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that being said, uh, we have Shauna Ora Knight joining us as well as Taylor Elwood Um Now, shauna has been with us multiple times this year already, talking about various uh, topics related to leadership and other issues, and uh, Taylor um, is uh, associated with the Mannion Press, if I'm correct. Uh, Please, one of you, correct me if I've said anything wrong thus far.
3: No, that sounds correct, Uh, and uh, hello, and thank you for having me here.
1: And thank you, Taylor, for uh, agreeing to join us. Uh, kind of last minute here, I got Shauna's message uh, maybe half an hour ago uh, that you were interested in joining us. And thank you, Shauna, for joining us as well.
4: I'm happy to hear, although certainly, uh, you know, there there are more pleasant topics to talk about, but this is such an important part of leadership and pagan community that it's, you know, we it's painful, but we have to talk about it if we're going to do it better.
1: Yes. Um, Now, Taylor, I understand that you kind of have a little bit of uh, time constraint for tonight, uh, which is totally understandable with this being last minute. Uh, You are here to talk about a particular aspect of this, and uh, if you could briefly introduce yourself for our listeners and then tell us why you joined us tonight.
3: Uh, sure. My name's Taylor Elwood, and I am um, well. I'm an occult author. I've written a number of books on magic. I'm also the managing nonfiction editor for Amanian Press, which publishes intermediate to advanced books on magic and on paganism. And uh, we actually had published uh, Kenny Klein's book, *The Flowering Rod*, which was about um, pagan pagan uh, Paganism for men and how to and how men in paganism should behave and act. So I think it should be pretty clear as to why this would be a particular issue for us uh, in light of recent events. Um, why I'm on here? Well, partially to talk about that decision and also uh, the decision we made to pull his book from our, our lineup. Um, but also partially because I personally uh, feel very strongly about this particular topic as well, um, and and feel that as uh leaders in the pagan community it's it's really important that we we closely examine why such activity has happened and allow and and start to do something about it that's proactive instead of reactive
1: okay um I'm not entirely sure where to go with this right now. I'm still wrapping my brain around everything that's going on. I've had conversations with people who have known Kenny for 20-plus years, uh, people who have uh, met him uh, in a casual-type setting, if you will, at various pagan festivals, as well as, of course, people who have read his books, listened to his music, and appreciated his uh His other art, uh, clarifying there his non-pornographic art, Um, but the Press, as you said, has made a decision that uh, has actually been kind of called into uh, uh, question, if you will, by another major pagan publisher, Llewellyn, worldwide. Um, Could you talk about the
3: decision? Well, uh, once I had uh, found out about the situation, I found out on Thursday morning when uh, Kara Schultz from uh, Minnesota uh, Pagan uh, News Collective contacted me and asked me about about what our response was to it, and I hadn't even heard about it until then. Uh, you know, shortly after uh, responding to her and giving her a statement for her news article, I uh, contacted Storm Constantine, who is the uh, the owner of the company. And I basically said to her that I felt that given the uh given, sent her a link to the article and said that given that Mr. Klein had uh confessed that he had in fact downloaded and shared uh child pornography that I didn't feel it was that we should keep his book in our lineup any any longer that we should pull it um and uh, the reason that I, uh, I, I decided uh, or, or, or kind of asked for that, and she was fine with that, and we, we both agreed that that was the right choice for us to make, is because we feel that we are part of the community, that we serve the community. We're a small press. Um, our, our, for, you know, our first and foremost concern is to provide books of quality and value to the people who read them. And uh, we... I didn't feel in good conscience that we could keep his book in print uh, and support what that book was about in relationship to what he had done because it seemed hypocritical that here's this book on how pagan men should behave and here's this person who's done the exact opposite of that, the author. Uh, And part of the reason I didn't feel I could do that is because of the fact that I have because of the fact that we are going to be putting out an anthology uh, on pagan leadership, actually Shauna and I are going to be editing it and I didn't feel that I could support uh, another book that ran that, that in essence ran counter to that by the author's actions, but part of it was also because of the fact that I have other authors who are uh, leaders in the community who, and they didn't pressure me, they didn't say, oh, you should do this or anything like that. They didn't, they didn't even hear about the decision until after it was made. But because I feel that it's really important to show them the values that we as a press have and the values that we feel are essential toward being participants in the pagan community. And finally, I have to admit I made it for a personal reason. I actually was raped as a child, and I found it to be very triggering to find that out, and I cannot in good conscience support any such behavior that puts anybody in such danger in such a way. I just can't. And so I've I've gotten some flack from it. I've been told I'm irresponsible and other such things, and I don't care. I did this because he confessed. If it would, have, it might have been different if, in, if in fact he hadn't admitted that he had done it. But even then, I would have felt troubled by it. But I would have, I might have felt a bit different about it. But he did confess, and I felt that that, in and of itself, was indicative enough for me that I should make that choice. And I stand by it because I feel it's reflective of the values of our press, and it's also important to us because we are part of the pagan community. We're not just the publishers of books. We're part of the ver- of this community, and we wish to serve this community in whatever way we can. And, in fact, we've been doing that for quite a while by, by publishing books that address some hard and controversial issues.
2: Well, I would like to personally applaud you for that decision. It is... So wonderful to to see a company, a business, taking ethics over the financial choices.
4: Absolutely.
3: Well, the fact of the matter is if we don't if we don't live according to our values, any profit we make doesn't mean anything. Profit Mm -hmm. should always come last in importance when it comes to a company. And any companies that put profit first do not value the people that they are purportedly serving.
2: Mm-hmm. And we
3: believe in serving the pagan community that we are part of.
2: Exactly. And there's also the the aspect of, you know, several of the people who came forward with, you know, their stories of something that had happened to them. Um, one of the the resounding themes was that nothing was done because after all, you know, he or, you know, whatever other person is a big-name pagan, is an elder of the pagan community, so what you're reporting could not possibly be valuable, could not possibly be valid. And, you know, taking somebody simply because they are well-known As an author, as a musician, as all of the above, as, you know, something else. Just because somebody is a well-known person does not mean we have to hold them sacred and not let them suffer the consequences of their own actions and choices.
3: I agree with that. And if anything, I would argue that anybody who becomes an author or anything along those lines is actually putting themselves up as a role model. And so mm-hmm. if they don't live according to the values that they are espousing, well, then what does that say about our community? Especially what does it say about our community when, when you know, it's just kind of dusted under the rug and covered up? It doesn't say anything good about about us as a community if we support that, and that's one of the that's, that's a reason in and of itself not to we, we need to hold anyone who wants to be a leader accountable to a code of ethics and behavior that is higher in, in a way, because that person is role modeling to the community mm-hmm. and to the world at large how they uh, how all of us should conduct ourselves. hmm
2: and I would like to point out that we do have a listener in one of the chat rooms that commented that you did make the right call to pull the book. So, don't let the naysayers get you down.
3: No, believe me, I'm not. I, uh, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, they can they can say what they want. I'm, I'm we're not we're not in the business of pleasing everyone. We're in the business of doing what's right. Good. I think you you mentioned something that
4: that is uh, you 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 point out something about how if he hadn't admitted to it it would have been different, and I and I I have to agree with that I mean I I'm a big you know Taylor and I talked about this online which was kind of what what preceded me saying hey I'm going to talk about this on Pagan Musings podcast you should you should come on and say it yourself um, you know it, it is it is hypocritical to um, to talk about values out of one side of your mouth and then and then you know not do something about uh, a problem on on the other side of your mouth but then you know at the same time I'm a big supporter of innocent until proven guilty because you know we we deserve that legal protection but in this instance it's 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 not so clean cut you know because he did admit to it. Um, so, I mean, I think for me that, that makes it, um, I, and I think, you know, you, you put it at the top of the show, Kelly Sarah, you said it was, is easier because of that. Um, but the, the challenge is, and, and, and this is what was really, how do I put it? It was shocking me, but not surprising me. And, 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 and that's what was really, has really been making me just queasy for days is like, I'm, I'm on these blog posts, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, signed up to get the comments on these blog posts where people are talking about these issues. And when the comments started rolling in on the blog posts and the Facebook posts about it, and people started talking about, yeah, Kenny touched me when I was a teenager. Yeah. I brought this up to adults and nobody did anything. Yeah. I brought this up to festival organizers and, and group leaders and they didn't do anything. So, I mean, I was shocked but not surprised at that because that has been my experience in the pagan community and, and the community at large. I mean, you know, we don't want to... There's this cognitive dissonance thing, and it's it's some of what I wrote about a little bit in, in my sex and ethics uh, blog post that I did for Pagan Activist a while back. But there's this cognitive dissonance that we have. is like, well, this person I know is good, so they couldn't possibly have done that. And, you know, literally, it's our brain cannot hold those two different things we we you know this person did this you know did all these awesome things thus they could not have done something bad we don't we don't really hold that paradox very well it actually requires a little rewiring of our brain before we can actually look at and say oh this person did do that and there are there are a number of kind of infamous examples of people in leadership positions and yes they do tend to be men although not always. It's not just men that do it, but there are these these situations where there's people in a position of power, um, and they're charismatic, and people love them, and they they use their position of power to flirt with their interns inappropriately, to you know have sex with minors. I mean, it's it's you know there's there's any number of different kinds of abuses that happen, but we just people don't want to believe that their beloved hero could have done something bad. And there's also the, the the factor that I've seen over and over again, which is the well, you know, if 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 my festival kicks that person out, then I'm taking sides in their domestic dispute. And we're here. I mean, you know, so I mean that that's a lot of what I've seen is is uh, you know that that even without the legal stuff, like now we have the legal stuff, and once he's convicted, we can clearly say no, he's not. You know he's not welcome at events. This is obvious. This is pretty clear at this point. But before that, we had two, like two, three decades of hearsay. You know, we had two, three decades of people coming forward and talking about this, and it gets swept under the rug because people don't want to be the one that says, "Yeah, this 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 person's a, a pedophile, is is a child molester, and and I'm kicking them out of my event," or "This person is abusing people, and and I don't want them at my event." You know, and and. For me, the question is, you know, the Kenny Klein thing is obviously a catalyst, but for me, the question is, like, what do we do with that? What do we, you know, do we need some kind of judicial process within our groups to be able to say, okay, yes, I have enough evidence at this point from what people come forward to say that, that you're not welcome at our event anymore, you know, I, I mean, I, I think at some point we need to be able to, to do that, but I, I experience that, that um, at least in the pagan community, people have not been, been willing to do that.
0: And
1: that's a very good point, but I think before we delve into that and at the suggestion of one of our listeners that uh, we take a music break to allow those people who are listening that may have some trigger issues with the topic to ground center and release some of the uh, uh, negativity that may be uh, dwelling in them at the moment. Does that sound like a plan before we continue?
0: Sounds good. Okay,
1: and uh, I'm going to go with Earth, Air, Fire, Water from uh, Heartbeat. I believe this is off of their Blood Moon release. And uh, we'll be back in just a few minutes to talk a little bit more, well, a lot more, actually, it looks like, on this topic.
0: Earth, air, fire, and water, and Earth, and-
1: was earth, air, fire, water from heartbeat. And Kali Sarah, you said you wanted to start us off for this segment.
2: Well, essentially, I would like to level a charge against the entire pagan community. Oh. And um, I found a post that Peter Dibing did that Addresses part of what I would like to say And Essentially He's, he's saying that um, The idea that it, It's in his Old white guys group So he, he says as old white guys We, we want to uh, Give into the idea that we are stra- Still attractive to young women Um, The messages sent to young men are that women are objects to be possessed by those who are successful and influential, and confronting our own privilege means standing up and proclaiming that such power-based relationships are not acceptable in our communities. And I can say from personal experience that when I encounter what is usually, not always, but usually an older guy... Who is labeled, uh, particularly like a dirty old man, is one of the more common ones. But, you know, something similar to that. Anytime I, I encounter a guy who, in, who gets one of those labels, I know for a solid gold fact that there's a good chance that he's going to hit on me. There's a good chance that he's not going to respect my boundaries. And there's a good chance that if anybody even notices What he is doing to me and to other women, or men in in some cases, nobody's going to do anything because they're too busy laughing about, ha, 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 how cute is that dirty old man? And I think that this comes from a little bit of um, the free love movement, um, the idea that uh, you know the the positive sexuality that a, a lot of pagans strive for, I, I think it's gotten derailed to a degree. Because I shouldn't have to to tolerate somebody's hand on my butt because he's an older guy and everybody just thinks he's so cute because he likes to flirt with all the girls. I shouldn't have to wear specific clothing because somebody has a fetish that they feel free to indulge in whenever they're in a pagan group. I shouldn't have to cover parts of my body because somebody else will either touch them with their hands or with their mouths or with any other part of their body because they think it's cute, they have a, a reputation for doing it, and everybody just laughs at it. And all of these things are things that I have personally experienced. And if it's in a pagan group, it's going to get laughed at. It's not going to be taken seriously. It is not something that I can come forward and complain about. It's something that is cute.
1: And I see what it is that you're talking about. I see it quite often um, at just about any uh, venue that you can think of within the pagan community. And I'm not saying that everybody is at fault, but the fact that nobody does anything to put a stop to it, or at least um, in the situations that you've been in, nobody's done anything to put a stop to it, does lay that that guilt on everybody who's there there mm-hmm. there's no uh if and or but about it um i've I've experienced it myself outside of the pagan community as well as inside the pagan community um where you know an an older man or woman who uh feels that they can you know hit on, hang on, grab on, whatever to a younger person, myself or somebody that I'm with, or just somebody who happens to be there. Um, You know, I see it a lot outside of the pagan community as well, and that was part of uh, Peter Dybing's point with his post there in the uh, um, old white guys confronting uh, privilege in America, the group on Facebook, uh, that it's not just... One segment of the population, you know, and in that regard, I'm referring to it's not just the pagans or it's not just the, you know, the the old rich guys or whatever. It is something that is prevalent, especially in the United States.
3: Mm-hmm. Yep. I also I also think that you uh, you see it with people who are in a position of authority, um, and So, you know, we, of course, were referring to Klein earlier, but just a a person who's in a position of authority and uh, uses that authority in a way to get what they want because they feel that they can and because they recognize that it gives them a power dynamic, which allows them to get away with it. And that also is uh, something that, that's worth noting in relationship to that. And, of course, some of that is, is, is the uh, the privilege aspect or someone being older, but sometimes it's not even that. Sometimes it shows up in other ways, too.
1: Mhm. Yeah, that it does. Um, like I said, I have seen it. I've experienced it. Um, and I am normally a rather vocal, assertive person, when it comes to crossing my boundaries. But there are certain lines that I am hesitant to cross because of the emotions and thoughts that it triggers within me. I am a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. Uh, If our listeners didn't already know that, they do now. I'm not going to go into details as to who, what, when, or anything like that because that's, that's not for tonight's show. That's not even really relevant. It's just I, I am a sur- survivor of childhood sexual abuse. I was raped by a man when I was a teenager. I, I you know, somebody who was in a position of authority, I have been there. And when I'm in those similar situations of, you know, somebody grabbing at me, hanging on me, or just not taking the hint that I'm not interested, I do often find it difficult to personally say something to make it stop. And quite often there are others around me who are totally oblivious to what's going on. And in that That's that's really hard to address with the totally oblivious. Do people have blinders?
2: It's not that. I don't think it's that at all. I think that, and you know, I'm talking about the pagan community in particular. Although this is not something exclusive, Mm -hmm. there is there's a subtle social pressure within the pagan community to To be what what people refer to as sex positive, you know, meaning you know, you don't judge people's sexual experiences based on gender or age or you know any other configuration. So people are less hesitant, or, or people are more hesitant to step in and go, wait a second, are you sure this is right? Um, unless somebody is very obviously rejecting or struggling against this other person. Additionally, you have this situation within a lot of pagan groups where you have maybe a a, a core group of people, and then you have a lot of people who come in by themselves. You know, the, the people who are seeking, the people who are searching, people who have never been to this event before and finally made it, and you know they might bring a friend once in a while but a lot of times these people show up by themselves they have no built-in support group so if everybody in the group is used to you know this one person constantly flirting with them then they're not going to bat an eye when this person turns on the new person who feels like they can't bring it up because they're new, they're all by themselves, they're trying not to make waves, they're trying to fit in. You, know, you have a lot of that pressure going on with these groups. And you know, I think that one of the things that the Pegging community really needs to look closely at is ways. In which we can address these situations because we have such a high instance of, you know, particularly younger people showing up by themselves to groups, of, you know, people who um, are embracing the freedom of the sex positive attitudes of paganism and might take it too far. You know, it, it's essentially the perfect storm for. If not child or not child, if not sexual abuse, sexual harassment
3: I think that's an, a really good point. I would also uh, throw in my two cents on that and just note that w- with the whole sex positive movement that i that I think in a lot of ways we have a very dysfunctional relationship even in that, and what I mean by that is that. You know when you have this idea that anything can anything goes with with sex because you want to be quote unquote positive, I don't know that it's really teaching us to be positive with sex so much as it's a a reaction to um, cultural values and perspectives uh, held you know say within the dominant religion of, of Christianity um, that that people are reacting against uh, or or you know as a way of oh, well, I can go and explore my sexuality and do whatever it is that I want to do without really any thought or consideration. I know for myself that I, over the last few years in particular, I've, I've done a lot of internal work around um, sexuality and my relationship with it and what it means to be sex positive, what it, really, what it really means to be sex positive and what appropriate boundaries are and things along those lines because I don't think that we necessarily see a lot of work out there on that particular topic in the pagan community or, or in the society at large. And it doesn't help that we have tons of media that glorifies um, dysfunctional behaviors and everything from infidelity to um, to other other types of behaviors uh, where in one form or another, where it it ends up causing it, it kind of says, okay well, yeah. On one hand, we say you know, uh, rape and molestation and infidelity and other such things aren't acceptable. But then, on the other hand, we we see shows where, to one form or another, we're we're dealing with the topic and not always in a way that's that's healthy or or, or really examines it in a, in a light that says, well, what is the appropriate behavior? How should we how should we be acting? So I, I think that, that, that's something to also consider with that particular issue.
2: I agree. I, I'm in a couple of groups that actually are not pagan-related, where they, they really promote the concept of sex posi- positivity. And it seems that there's almost a desperation to be viewed as sex positive to the point where if you aren't – let's see, some of the things that I've encountered personally are um, people being supportive of a woman cheating on her husband because she hadn't had a sexual outlet with her husband, and so now she's, like, trying to figure out if she should even tell him. And I'm sitting there going, how is that positive? And nobody else says a word. It's like, that is not right. You know, I – don't care if you choose to be non-monogamous but you don't lie to people you don't sneak around behind their backs that's that's just wrong and then another situation that i i experienced was um, talking about uh, being vocal during sex and i mentioned that having two smaller children you know, I don't feel that being vocal in the middle of the night is a really good choice. And I I kept trying to explain to them that it's not because I'm ashamed of being vocal. It's because I don't want to wake people up. And they, I mean, they were attacking me over it. And I'm like, that is just weird. I I should not force people to hear my vocalizations. Because you think that's the only way to be sex positive. So I think you have a very good point in that, you know, there's, there seems to be like this dysfunctional, desperate, over-striving to be sex positive, wherein we, we're trying so hard to be sex positive that we forget that there should still be some boundaries. We don't have to limit them to just what you know, the, the society says or anything like that. But, you know, we, we should still be able to choose our own boundaries. We, we don't all boundaries have to good. be flaunting it.
3: <laughs> we should be able to choose our own boundaries, and we should also make the effort to respect other people's boundaries and really be aware of those boundaries, and up to mm-hmm. and including behaviors that can, that can be anything, not, not even just groping people, but even just looking at people. You know, you Mm -hmm. can look at somebody and violate their boundaries.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And, you know, particularly in the past couple of decades, the concept of eye candy, you know, and the recent uh, upsurge of what's called cougar behavior – you know, it's like, oh great. So, you know, we just get to the point where we start having some serious discussions about objectifying women and now we're gonna objectify men too. Woohoo! Yay, equality.
3: Young men in particular.
4: Yeah. Well and I think the I mean, I think the word boundaries is just it's so crucial to like everything. And if there's if there's one thing when I teach pagan leadership workshops, if there's like and when I observe community disputes and when people come to me after I teach a leadership workshop and they're like, so I've got this problem, they step into my office and they tell me about what's going on. And, like, the one thing that I see over and over and over is, like, if we actually had healthy boundaries and talked about things, like, like 90% of these problems would go away. Like, like it's not a problem for an older person to hit on a younger person like that's that's not there's nothing embarrassing or shameful about that what's what's a problem is when they're doing it in a gross way and not respecting somebody's boundaries you know like it's it's not you know we can't go into this pendulum swing where it's not okay to you know to make your interest known, but there has you know there's like there's a there's a balance point there's a way to do it without being gross about it uh there was a guy I, I talk about him a lot in my in my workshops in chicago or i'm sorry when my leadership workshops but he he was in chicago and i call him creepy guy and he um he he i i had like six women come forward and say oh that guy's creepy and I was like well i can't kick somebody out for just being creepy so i watched him and i watched what he did and he was taller he's taller than me uh and he would lean kinda of, he was a close leaner, like he would kind of invade people's body space. He would look at women's breasts. Like he wouldn't make good eye contact. Um he was kind of squinty. Uh and but here was the kicker <laughs> is that like he's doing all of these things and he's and he's gravitating toward the women in the group. And like he didn't go and talk to men, he would go and talk to to whatever the new w- woman was who was at the at the gathering. But the kicker was within like the first five minutes of the conversation, it'd be oh you know my girlfriend and I are poly and we're looking for a third. I'm like well, flirting is okay, but that's kind of that's your you know that's not that's that's not okay. Like you're you're bringing that up way out of context when someone is not giving you any of the body language signals, I mean, like five minutes, you know, it's like, come on, get to know somebody a little bit before you start, you know, before you start that. And so, um, and it, and it turned out like I didn't kick him out of our, of our group because I was like, okay, you know, I have to kind of, like i'm a big I'm a big supporter of kind of you know three strikes like he hadn't done anything terrible, he was obviously a little creepy, so you know we talked to him and and he agreed to get better and and then he didn't and then it turned out that he was physically abusing his partner um so he's you know he's no longer welcome at events, and that was i mean you know once I found out what was going on, it was pretty easy for me to say no he doesn't you know he's he's physically abusing his partner that's that's gone from okay, your behavior's a little off to no dice um but you know we but but if if the women who um i mean and, and I'm sure there's women who didn't come forward, you know this whole thing of boundaries though is like Boundaries is where, where I know where I end and where you begin. And so, you know, I might ask you something and you can say no and I can say, hey, okay, that's cool. That's boundaries. And we do not learn to say no in our culture. We we do and especially women, but, but it's but it's really everybody. We we do everything we can to not say no. We avert our gaze. We back up. We give body language, but we don't like saying no because it's so culturally ingrained that saying no means you are completely rejecting the other person, and they're going to hate you. You know, this boundaries thing is a—it's a real problem, and I see it causing—it it causes problems in the whole sex ethics and, and, and abuse arena, but it causes lots of other problems too.
2: Mhm. And you know, it, it's almost like there's. and I don't know if this is actually what's going on, so I'm just kind of spouting things at this point, but it's like there's like this entire multi-generational set that has such low um, situational and um, body language awareness that they completely don't grasp the cues or, you know, they, they... don't believe the cues that they do grasp we we just we have this this group of people that seem to lack finesse in social interaction.
3: I think part of it's a, a lack of finesse in social interaction. I would also say that the, the part of it unfortunately goes right down to looking at their their families um, There's some really interesting uh books that i've read on the topic of infidelity, and one of the things that, w- that was pointed out on that particular topic was how uh, infidelity is multi-generational. and so if it's modeled in one generation, there's a good chance that in the next generation, the person that was modeled to is either going to be unfaithful themselves, or they're going to end up with somebody who's going to be unfaithful toward them, as an example and so when you see these kinds of behaviors modeled and there's nothing done to really critique or explore them in the family let alone in the community it leads to that low threshold of social awareness that you're mentioning and it, and, and of course i mean we you know we can say okay well what are we going to do we can't really police families or anything like that but i think that one of the things that that is worth looking at is, is, really, is for people to really take a good hard look at, you know, what kinds of behaviors have been modeled in my life? Would I really want this to happen to me? Do I really want to be a perpetrator of this kind of behavior? You know, when do I step up and, and get some help and take charge of changing that behavior and not, not um, continuing that cycle? And it's it's not easy work to do, but it's necessary work that needs to be done. And and some of that can happen when we talk about boundaries. Some of it also really just comes right down to each person making their own choice as to what they are going to do, how they are going to choose to behave.
4: What you guys both brought up about, about infidelity and the whole sex positive thing is actually – for me, it's really core because i I too have seen people brush off infidelity as like, oh well that's just that's not that big of a deal but the thing is is it's a warning sign um, it's a red flag for further behavior and for me, infidelity is like you have just broken a promise. You have broken an agreement. You have said that what I need in this moment, my need to get weighed in this moment is more important than this promise I had with my partner. And yes, I'm aware that that infidelity very frequently happens when a relationship is over anyways and it's one of the final death throes of a relationship and that's one thing. Um, that's kind of a for for some people I know that it's a it's a yes, okay, that was the wake-up call that this relationship is really dead. Um, but there's lots of folks who cheat for a really long time and keep it hidden and lie to people and lie to people consistently. And, and that, that's a bigger red flag. Like that's, that's like, you know, you, you now, like you, if you are lying to your partner and lying to people around you about that, like you, you you've basically broken a covenant of trust. Like you, you can't be trusted anymore. If you can lie about that, what else are you going to lie about? And, um, you know, and and so, I mean, I see that what you guys are talking about with the, in the sex positive, in the so-called sex positive community, I see people like, Oh, it's not that big of a deal, but it is a big deal because it's, it leads to other things. I mean, my own former partner, uh, cheated on me, and a lot of people were like, well, that's not reason to ban him from an event. I'm like, no, but he was cheating on me with students that he was teaching. He was cheating on me with people he was teaching at the festivals or that he met in context as a leader and a teacher. And these women came to me after and told me, like, they, of course, they didn't tell me when it was going on, in part because of he, you know, he lied to them and said, oh, yeah, we're polyamorous, which we weren't. Um, but I had to counsel them after because they felt so used and abused by what he had done. I had to sit there and talk them through it. And I've got my own gaping wounds from that particular process. And I'm talking to these folks about what, you know, about helping them process it because I was one of the people who empowered him as a leader. And I felt the responsibility to do that. But I mean, again, it goes back to, yeah maybe cheating on its own isn't the worst possible thing you could do, but it's a but it's a red flag it's a warning sign, and it's not being sex positive to lie and cheat on your partner that's not sex positive I was at um I was talking to some people who ran a festival and i'm try- I'm debating on whether or not to name the festival because I don't know that these folks are representative of the festival but at one point these were organizers for a particular festival and i was saying something about they were talking about some of the sexual shenanigans that happen around the central bonfire and i said you know i i, I tend to be more like i i tend to enjoy more like the, the kind of bonfire that's around like a pagan spirit gathering where like no people are not making out and having sex at the bonfire at pagan spirit gathering there's very clear boundaries around around that and uh, these folks from this other festival were like, you know, we're like, oh, well, when you when you're sex positive enough, when you get over your hangups, you'll you'll be okay with making out and, and having sex by the bonfire. And I was like, well, no, sex positive doesn't mean that I have to be okay with uh, getting laid by the bonfire. Sex positive means I get to choose and be okay with my choice.
2: Mm-hmm. And I would like to point out one small detail that um, infidelity and cheating is about lying to your partner. It's not necessarily about monogamy. So, you know, people who actually are polyamorous, as long as they're being open with, with their partner, that doesn't count as cheating.
3: It doesn't. If they're open and, and everyone has agreed and there is a consensual agreement and it's it's not somebody going behind the back of somebody else or doing things that they, they didn't agree to. Mm-hmm.
2: And it has been suggested that we take another musical break and catch our breaths and deep breaths and ooh, find our zen. zen and I
1: hope that what I have chosen will help people Uh, Find Their Zen. Uh, It's uh, a vocalized and instrumental piece from Leah Scallon off of her The Luminous Pearl. And I think at this point the title is uh, quite fitting, not because of the topic, but because it will bring people back to um, the here and now as opposed to what may be running through their hearts and minds right now emotionally or uh, energy-wise. This is Walk in Beauty. And that was Walk in Beauty by Leah Scallon from her The Luminous Pearl. And we are still on the very difficult topic of sex, ethics, and abuse. And Sarah, you had a direction you wanted to take things in?
2: Well, um, you know, we've been talking a lot about people using their positions of authority and celebrity and you know, power to be the perpetrators of abuse and harassment. But I would also like to point out that um, being in the position of being an authority or a celebrity or even a merchant, you know, when, when we're vending or when we're promoing a book or, you know, anything like that, we, we are in our public face. And we smile, nod, and do whatever it is that we need to do to not offend the people who may be making purchases from us, which means that a lot of times we sit there and we take a lot more than we should have to and sometimes a lot more than we're comfortable with. So, you know, flirting with the the musician who is trying to sell CDs is also a form of harassment because they are not in a position to put a stop to it as severely as they might want to.
4: That's not even a, that's not even a sexual thing. I mean, I've talked to so many vendors and basically that there's the, it's, it's called table sitting. It's like, if you're talking about your book, if you're talking about your, Group. If you're selling things at an event, if you're sitting there, you're kind of stuck at your table, and uh, and this is a very common thing that happens is someone will come over and start talking to you, or or even sit down and like <laughs> like completely impinge on your boundaries and start talking about something that you have no interest in talking about. Um, or they're flirting with you or whatever. I mean, I, I'll, I'll be honest. I don't really get flirted with it. <laughs> so I can't really speak to that. Um, I kind of don't give off the body language that I'm open to that, uh, which is a story for another day. Um, but, but people sure do start talking to me about stuff and I'm like, Hey, I've got to go wash my hair. Um, but when you're, when you're stuck at a table, when you're stuck at a booth, you know, it's I. I have talked to so many people who are like, "There's hours of my life I will never get back because I'm stuck talking to this person, or this person's flirting with me and being gross, and I, I can't do anything about it. I can't leave my table. Um, that's that's it's that's boundaries. It's it's bad boundaries. It's a problem."
2: Mhm. Yeah. I I try to be very careful when I'm talking to a big name person. That you know. I, I give them enough opportunity to escape if that's what they're looking for. But yeah, I mean, you know, people people like the whole built-in friend thing that they can get from somebody who really can't do much more than ponder chewing their own arm off.
3: Yeah, I well, well and I would say that I, one thing that I've learned over the years. Um, for myself, is I've learned how to subtly discourage that kind of behavior, and occasionally to prevail upon my wife if necessary. Um, at a recent event I was at, uh, a person started flirting with me. I was at a table signing books, and uh, and I indicated I wasn't interested. And then finally, my wife kind of came to my rescue and said very directly <laughs> that it wasn't. There was no chance. <laughs> So afterwards that person you know kind of walked on their way with a perplexed look on their face and it was was kind of humorous but at the same time it was one of those things where it can be a little uh, it it can be uh, just a bit discomforting for the reasons that you mentioned
2: Phil
1: sorry I suddenly needed to have some protein so I shoved something in my mouth
0: (laughs) <laughs> really? Oh, that was
1: so wrong! Right now, uh, some beef jerky. <laughs> um,
4: Protein is as good. As
1: somebody who has somebody who has vended and uh, been kind of you know stuck at the table, I definitely know what you what you were bringing up, Sarah. I mean, we we kind of play off of each other when we're vending because. Mm-hmm. Uh, Well, we've known each other for more years than we care to admit sometimes, so we can read each other's body language. So when you're vending with somebody, you have a backup most of the time, unless they've wandered off, you know, they needed to use the restroom, uh, go out for some inner smudging if it's an indoor event, excuse themselves from the table for whatever reason usually have somebody there who can help you in that kind of a situation. But if you're vending alone, signing books by yourself, what have you, you don't really have that avenue of escape. And i um, not entirely sure where I was going with that other than with Sarah and I sharing the space at events. You know, we can read each other pretty well and uh, usually – there's more than one person at the table, you know, uh, customer-wise, if you will. So um, one of us will say, uh, well, you know, like I'll say, Sarah is a little bit more knowledgeable on this item or that area of practice. Um, Sarah, you want to come over here and uh, and help out with this? And usually that can be used as a way to go, okay, um, help, escape route, please,
0: and I, so and I think that that really that
1: goes back
4: to this boundaries thing. It is like you've got you've got the ba- the boundary stuff on both sides. You've got somebody who isn't, you've got somebody who either doesn't, it, you know, is is not very socially adept, and and or for whatever reason is not picking up on the body language, which which happens. Um, it's not it's not a forever excuse, but it does it does happen. I see it. Um, Or you've got somebody that doesn't care and is actually there to impinge on your boundaries. And, um, and the problem is, is on the other end of things we have this poor boundaries thing of like, we don't want to directly things like the the boundaries thing is tied into direct communication and the passive aggressive thing. We don't want to look somebody in the eye and say, you are making me feel incredibly uncomfortable and I would like you to back off now. You know, we, we are taught that that's aggressive. We are taught that that is that that is, um, you know, all rude. things rude. Yeah. Um, now on the on the back on the other side of the table, the person who who has the poor boundaries that is that is doing the flirting to the point where it gets inappropriate. Um, the I've I've worked with some folks that were just really socially awkward. Um, I myself can be that socially awkward. I mean, uh, you know, there, there's just, there are folks that, that that don't have those social skills and, and they can be worked with one great way that I work with folks like that is I'll, you know, I'll see them kind of struggling around like a fish out of water and, and, you know, and they're obviously offending people. And so I'll go talk to them and I'll say, you know, so here's the, the physical thing that you're doing and here's the impact that that physical thing is, is having, I'm guessing that's the impact—not not the impact you want to have—and they're like, "Oh no!" And I say, "Okay, so let's let's talk about that. Let's, you know, what what's the impact you would like to have? And let's talk about what you need to be able to to do and be able to observe about people's body language so that you're not having that impact." So some folks can be kind of resocialized, if I if I can put it that way. Um, but there, but that, but that's not when, when we're talking about the predators. That's not what we're talking about. Predators are actually intentionally crossing your boundaries as part of the grooming process because once they realize that instead of saying no, you're making me uncomfortable, you look away or you look down or you get quiet, then they they notice that you're not going to necessarily stand up for yourself and they can keep pressing your boundaries and they will um, because that's part of the grooming process is they want to get into your space. They want to... Basically, basically it's herd behavior they want to isolate you they want um, they want you to do what what they want and so they're gonna uh, engage that in that process of crossing your boundaries to do that and and that's the part where it's like we've got these predators in our community we cannot any longer pretend as pagans that we don't we are not all free love and everybody's love and buttercups and I don't know it's 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 the free ride is you, over.
0: Know you know right
4: there's no there's no unicorns vomiting rainbows on on everything i mean it's it's um you know this is a problem so so what do we do with it and how do we i mean you know i've seen so many different posts talking about like what what's the next step what do we do about this because it's obviously a problem um you know and and you know what, what taylor was saying a few minutes ago about uh you know that you can you there's that, that there's a lot of work, and you can learn to do things differently, but it but it, it, it is a lot of work, and uh, and that's the work that I think we really need to sign up for. We need to find out what do we need to do to change so that, so that this isn't a continuing problem.
3: Well, and I want to speak as as, as someone who's actually done a, a, a lot of work myself. I mean, in my I, I have to admit, in my twenties, I was not uh, a person who always understood. Or respected the boundaries as I should have Um, it wasn't intentional predatory behavior it was it was a guy who was fairly socially awkward it doesn't excuse it it's just it was what it was but I had it pointed out to me and I did a lot of work I did a lot of internal work meditation etc working in on myself on my behaviors why am I acting this way what what is it I'm trying to get etc etc and I really had to face those things head on in order to change it, and I did change it, and uh, it's, it's something I'm, I'm proud of, but it's, it does take a lot of work. You have to be willing to take a good, long, hard look at yourself in the mirror and really own your behavior, um, and, and that means facing some, uncomfort- some uncomfortable truths about yourself if you're socially awkward sometimes and you're not aware Fully aware that what you're doing is, or, or maybe you are aware, but you're not aware of it in quite the context you need to be. Um, but it's important that you do it because if you don't, it's, it, it can, it can um, accelerate toward where it becomes much more intentional toward that, that predatory behavior, in my opinion. Um, you know, and you don't want that to to happen. Um, but also, it's it's one of those things where if people are willing to do that work, it allows you to call out and discover those predators much more easily. Because then it's not a case of oh, that person's being socially awkward. No, it's a recognition that no, that person's actually trying to do something that's really inappropriate.
2: I'm wondering if. It could become a thing, an acceptable, even you know, looked forward to type of thing. To have a portion of the workshops that are always going on at Peg Events be related to uh, reading body language, um, understanding boundaries, and Honoring the choices that create true sex positivity versus the pressure to just do anything because otherwise you're not sex positive. Yeah, I, I wonder if, if we could if we could engage in that kind of um, intra-community education.
3: Well, I think we should. I, I think I think it's needed, and that it's something that should be a mandatory uh, presentation, as it were, at any any convention, and maybe even have it a couple times, to, depending, or have it as a, as something where it's it's on its own, so that people, you know, there's no there's no other competing uh, tracks, as it were.
4: Mm-hmm. One thing that I do before pretty, pretty much any of my workshops, um, with, with very few exceptions, um, I always lay out a few agreements together for the discussion, um, and that's because the, the workshop style that I use is very interactive And, um, and it solves, I would say it solves like 95% of the problems that I hear about people having in other workshops. Like in, in, you know, people talk about, oh, there was a know-it-all in my workshop and there, or there was a heckler, or there's somebody who was being really rude, or there's somebody who was showboating. I don't have that problem in my workshops because I lay out really, you know, like five minutes. It takes me less than five minutes to lay out a couple of agreements for what mutual respect looks like. And... You know, and I'll tell people, like, hey, we're going to be talking in this workshop about blah, 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 blah topic, and I do want to hear from you guys, but I promised I would teach X, Y, Z, and so um, I may have to interrupt you, and, uh, and that's not to be shaming or anything. That's just, you know, I promised I'd teach this thing, and, and I might need to, to move things forward. Um, you know, I talk about a number, basically just ground rules for what behavior is acceptable. It does not take that much time to actually outline that. It really doesn't. And um, I actually I talked to a woman once who ran a Reiki share or an energy healing share, and you would think that that would be like a fun event. Like if you do Reiki and energy share energy energy healing, and you get together once every couple of weeks with a group of people to share to share that work with each other, you'd think that would be like a, a cool fun thing. And she's like, "This is the worst part of my month every month when when we get together and do this." And I said, "Why?" She's like, "Well." And she started listing all these different things that people did that was really annoying or, or just, uh, um, you know, people would just start talking about all this negative stuff or they would take over the the thing. And I mean, just like all these different things. I was like, well, do you ever establish any agreements at the beginning? She said, no. I said, try, try these five agreements and see if that works. And she's like, Oh my God, Reiki shares great now. And I mean, I, I think one of the problems is, um, like the first agreement I start out with is, is I'm assuming that you guys are all coming here in the spirit of mutual respect. Is that true? And I get them all to, you know, I mean, I get them all to energetically consent to that, to agree to that. It's like, okay, so then let's talk about what respect looks like because people don't always know what respect looks like. And I mean, again, it sounds stupid because it, to a lot of people, they're like, "Well, of course we know what respect looks like." No, no, we we don't because um, I have seen people do things that are incredibly rude to me, but to them, they're just you know they're just on autopilot. They don't understand that that's rude for me. So, I mean, I think there's just there's this idea that we're all speaking the same language and this idea that we all understand what's appropriate behavior, and we don't. We we don't understand that. We actually need to socialize ourselves. I mean, uh, like Taylor, I was the totally annoying person uh, you know, in my in my twenties. In my case, and, um uh well, I was just I was just annoying. Um and I still struggle with a lot of social interactions. I still struggle with a lot of stuff where I'm like, am I being totally rude or annoying? I, I can't tell. <laughs> I need more socialization. Um so I, I, I think that's that's one of the things that's, that's needed because I think there's a lot of unintentionally creepy behavior that is out there. Um, but but again, that I mean that teaching teaching people how to not be creepy doesn't keep us from having abusive people, and that's a, that's like a, a separate tier of of behavior.
2: Well, that's that's true, but when you start to eliminate the tendency for um, people to be socially inept rather than socially predatory, then you have a better chance of not dismissing behaviors because of that. You know, if, right. if you if you understand that you know this this behavior is kind of creepy, but you've already counseled that person on not doing that behavior because it's kind of creepy and they're still doing it, then, you know, that's like a red flag right there. Right. So, yeah, I, I think that, you know, it, and you have a very good point in the sense that, you know, what, what's something that's rude to me might not be rude to you and vice versa. there's been a couple of times in my life where people have approached me and said, you know, this was really kind of out of, out of boundaries, you know, this was really kind of rude or, you know, just unacceptable behavior. And I'm like, what the heck are you talking about? Why is that unacceptable? You know, okay, fine. They, they have that, that concept in their presence. I will try to keep that in mind, but you know, I have, different versions of what is and is not socially appropriate than other people do. And, you know, a lot of those are like little detail things that, you know, maybe my upbringing was a little more casual than than other people's or, you know, vice versa. But it's, it's a very good thing to have, you know, the, the basics laid out so that everybody's on that same page.
1: So there's yeah. something that I do when I get uh into you know, a teaching situation um or a, a workshop. I've I've done a couple of panels, I suppose you would call them at conventions that are kind of like doing a workshop. And one of the things that I try to do either with individuals or with groups is start out with saying, you know, I I come from a different background from just about every single person in this room, or I come from a different background than you do. Chances are I may do or say something that crosses a boundary. If I do, please let me know and expect that I will let you know if you do the same to me works really really well on the one-on-one not necessarily in the group setting but on the one-on-one it has worked very well i've discovered and this was this is over the course of years i've discovered that there's a few mannerisms that i have that sometimes um are deemed to be rude or even offensive to somebody else i tend to be a touchy-feely person you know i i like to you know Reach out and you know touch the hand of the person that I'm talking to, or um, you know get a little bit closer not not physical or sexual in any way, but you know a little bit closer to the person when it's one on one or uh, more expressive and um, friendly and to a lot of people that um, as i've discovered is you know inappropriate and i take that into consideration it's like you know like sarah you were saying uh perhaps my upbringing was a little bit more casual than other people's and in certain respects i'm sure it was and in many other respects it was probably a lot more conservative so i try to let the person know right off the bat That I'm not intending to do something that'll offend you. If I do, please let me know, so that I don't do that again. Um, And like I said before, expect me to say something to you. Not always a a plausible situation, but something that I do try to do.
4: And that's a really great point because. I think that's, that's a great example because we are raised different ways. Like, like in my, um, I was married in my twenties and, uh, my, my ex-husband, his family was very touchy feely, very vocal, very shouty. They were a very shouty family. And so like they would have a philosophical debate at the dinner table and they'd be pounding the table and they'd be screaming at each other. And like, that was how they shared affection. And, you know, me, anybody raises their voice and I'm like, mommy and daddy are fighting again. You know, I mean, I just, I, I couldn't cope with, with that. And so, I mean, it was just completely different upbringings and, and, you know, you and I have completely different, um, as far as the touchy feely, like I am way on the other end where people sometimes perceive me as being physically uh, or as, as, as being, as far as body language goes, as being cold and unapproachable because I don't, I don't initiate hugs. I don't like touching most people. I mean, I, I'm never going to be the person that reaches out and touches somebody's hand unless I know them really, really, really well. Um, and so like for somebody who's looking for that warmth and connection, um, and I, and I've had this before, I've had people tell me this before. They're, they just, they, are like, you're so cold. Um, so it's just it's fascinating how it can go the other way. Like you might be perceived as being touchy feely in a way that's you know you you know we can obviously see how that could be read as as being um, you know somebody could read that as being creepy. I get it on the completely other end where people are like you know you're just so unapproachable. Like well trying to trying to not hang out all over you so you don't misperceive me as flirting with you because that would be inappropriate. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Uh, We are drawing close to the end of the show tonight. We've got about half an hour to go. And one thing that we wanted to talk about, uh, even if it's only in brief at this point, is um, what to do when we see a situation or we ourselves are in a situation where somebody is being taken advantage of. Uh, Being pressured into doing something, being abused. And I'm going to leave that thought in everybody's head right now, at least those of us that are on the air. Uh, The listeners perhaps might want to go wander with this piece of music that I have selected to, uh, you know, as before, to ground and center a little bit. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk about that concept. Uh, What I've got lined up is Jenna Green off of her Crossroads CD, Acceptance. And this is acceptance in many ways. So take a listen and ground, center, please. Mm Thank you. And we're back with Pagan Musings podcast, and we are talking about sex, ethics, and abuse in the pagan and magical world. Now, I know right now across the country, perhaps around the globe, that there are many covens, groves, circles, gatherings, whatever you want to call them, that are talking about this topic in one way or another. I know that my mother, Coven, has been talking about it this weekend. They uh, had a late celebration for Ostara on Saturday, and today they were meeting in part to talk about this very topic, primarily on what to do when they witness or are subject to these violations of personal space, these abuses uh, being taken advantage of. By others within the community, and what the responsibility is of the individual, whether they are a leader or just a member of the group, what their responsibility is to do something about it. Uh, and I'm just going to kind of open it up to everybody on that, whoever wants to start. Don't all jump in at once now.
3: Okay, well I'll go ahead and jump in. <laughs> um I think that the responsibility really here is that is that as a community we we need to really be on the lookout for these kinds of behaviors. We need to really define them. And and I think that part of of what we're and and obviously we've been doing that with the show is we've been kind of defining it. You know, I think there's a lot of fuzzy definitions around this as to what is acceptable and what isn't. And and what we really need to do as a community, is We first of all, we need to define what is not acceptable behavior. And then what we need to do is we need to make sure that people know that so that they can then go and speak up to the festival organizers or, or whoever and say, you know, so-and-so is doing X to this person or so-and-so did this to me and made me feel this way. And uh you know, not and 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 do it in a manner where, where then, you know, um, it, it, it can be addressed, and not necessarily, and not necessarily in a way where it's like, okay, we're gonna. You know, like if, if, if someone does something and it's a socially awkward behavior where they need some help to learn, okay, then let's help them. But if someone's doing something where it's clearly anything but that, then what really needs to happen is this person not only needs to be banned from that event, but then we also need to make sure that the appropriate authorities know. Because if we don't do some, if, if we only do something about it at that event, but we don't do something about it elsewhere, we're, we're essentially still condoning the behavior happening somewhere else.
4: you bring up some really good points about the the I guess I'd call it the fuzzy behavior the um the not I mean cuz it's it is hard it's like and I, and that's something I was talking about on my Facebook is like at what point is something abuse you know at what point is something unacceptable behavior um you know should should someone get kicked out of, of an event for having a fight with their spouse you know like a verbal fight well pr- Probably not. I mean, you know, maybe that's not the place for it, but things happen. But if that person is having like a fight every day with their spouse or every time they come to that festival, there's a knock, knock out, drag out screaming match. Well, that's, that's a consistent pattern of a problem. And I, I mean, I guess that's part of it is like, we have to, we have to really look at like, what are the behaviors that are, um, you know, at what, at what point do they become a really clear set of red flags um i think with I think with people preying on children it's a little there's a little bit less gray area uh with with that there's no and gray and area. yet well well what i i guess what I mean is there should be less gray area, but yet what we know about the Kenny Klein case now is that many uh teens. That you know that uh, you know that have come forward to say that he did touch them and they did bring it up to authorities and they were told that they must have been mistaken, and his his ex wife and and you pronounced it and I'm not going to try and pronounce her name Zippora uh, D- Zippora um, she's been posting on some of the blogs she's been posting on Thorn Coyle's blog and the Firelight Rioter I, I forget the the specific blog title name um, she's she's been posting Exciting on blogs about. And citing a riot, yes, thank you um, she's She's been posting about that that she not only tried to take this the legal angle and 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 failed at that, but she brought it to the local community, and she and her children were excommunicated from the local pagan community. They were told that they must have been mistaken, so that's why I say like it should be there should be no gray area with the kids an abuse thing but there is because obviously we aren't listening when when people are coming forward with with claims of abuse and and here's here's the difficulty with it and i and i totally understand the difficulty with it because here's here's the problem in the pagan community there is so much he said she said um types of arguments and there are so many you know when there's a breakup in the community, when there's um, an issue between coven leaders, when there's other, the accusations fly, and I know for a fact many many people tell lies about another leader to tear them down. I know of people who have used the he's a pedophile or he raped me. I do know of people where they were lying because they were using it as a way to get back at that person. Um, and that muddies the issue tremendously because then, you know, like, let's say I'm running an event because I run events in Chicago and then let's say somebody comes to me and says, well, you know, this happened and I have to, then I'm the one who has to render a decision there. I'm the one who has to say, okay, either I have enough evidence to say, yes, this person is acting inappropriately and they are no longer welcome at our events, or, I have to say, you know, I don't have enough evidence to ban them from, from the group, but I'm going to be keeping an eye on them. Um, but I should make it really clear that I am willing to kick somebody out of a group and I have kicked people out of my group. I, I had my own ex (laughs) out of my group because, uh, you know, he was preying on my own community and, uh, and i and I was in the position of enabling him to prey on my community and at festivals. And you know, so it's 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 a complicated thing of of what do we actually do, but I think you know I think Taylor's absolutely right. We have to first start by defining those like what are the behaviors that are unacceptable? at what point does that become unacceptable? Um, you know, and I, again with with molesting children and teens, this I, I think it's pretty it's pretty obvious. Uh, but then we need we, we need events to have those policies in place of like this is what that ex- unacceptable behavior is. We need that we need those policies not just in the program book. We need people to actually understand them, um, and that's that's a difficult communication process. But it's possible. It's it's totally possible. It's totally doable. But then we also need that structure in place so that if somebody has something going on, they know who to go to, and we have to have those people identified so that they know I can go to this person and tell them about that and not get shot down. Um, And, you know, to my everlasting uh, embarrassment and and shame, women in my community didn't come forward to tell me what was going on with my ex because he and I were together and they had nobody else to go to. So they just stopped coming to events. Um, You know, that, that right there, that's a problem. Other events, if you bring up feedback about somebody, if you, you know, like if I brought up feedback about my ex to events where he's teaching, I'm just perceived as the crazy, the crazy ex. Um, and that's what happened to Zipporah. That's exactly what happened to her and she got excommunicated for it. So, you know, we have to really look at this whole structure of what, what do we um you know, how, how do we move from dismissing every claim that somebody has done something bad because we're so gun shy about all the lying and the backstabbing because it does happen. Um, but how do we actually listen to those those complaints and then, you know, maybe we don't have enough evidence to kick somebody out. Maybe we just don't. Maybe it's he said, she said, and it's like, Well, I can't render a decision based on that. But I'll tell you what, there's a there's a saying, uh, <laughs> Actually, I'm going to totally gank this from Babylon five. If you are familiar with the TV series, uh, there's a quote Hello, from the teacher. show. that uh, Well, yeah. That there's a, there's a quote from the show that it, the truth points to itself. And I will tell you in every instance I have ever encountered of somebody acting in a way that is, that is really, really inappropriate or predatory, the truth points to itself. Um, even if there's a really complicated, he said, she said thing going on, it always comes out. The dirt always comes out. And unfortunately sometimes it does mean that they have to hurt somebody else before it becomes clear. And as a leader, I can't always control that. I can't, I can do what I can to protect people, but that, that does happen. But there's a certain point where that person is going to act out again, or I'm going to hear about something else. You know, there, there are leaders in the community. Like I could just, And the stories I have heard, I have heard heard some terrible stories about people, and I can't speak out about it because I didn't witness it. I mean, I could just write an entire blog post just on all the crap I have heard about leaders in our community doing. And I have, for me, for my personal decisions, I have enough hearsay evidence to say I'm not going to recommend them. And what's more is if I hear enough more about them, I might publicly speak out against them. But, you know, I just, you know, you can't post stuff like that because there's such a perception of, oh, you're just, it's just sour grapes. You're just, you know, you're just being a bitch. Um, You know, I mean, that's, and that's what makes this difficult. is And and I just, I mean, I wrote probably 30,000 words on it this month on how when you want to speak out against that leader that's doing something bad, it never goes well in our community. And we need to change that. We really do. I don't know how,
3: but we need to. Well, you know, you, you bring up a good point, Shauna, about that, that we do. And and I think that the, the one thing you said is, you know, when it's a he said, she said thing, it can be a bit more complicated. I, I think in that kind of situation, what it comes down to is that even if it's not clear exactly what happened, the, the person that was accused of the action should really just be said, you know, we're putting you on notice if this happens again there are going to be other consequences because then it kind of says to that person, all right. And, 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 and that may seem a little hard, but I think that sometimes that's what you need to do. Yeah. I think we should always err on the side of, of, of making choices where we are emphasizing the safety of the community, the safety of, of all the people in the community over, you know, one person, no matter how famous or whatever that person is, because the fact is is that person's fame is solely derived from the fact that people find value in what it is he or she does in the first place. So in a he says she said thing, it should be all right. If we can't determine it, fair enough. But we're telling you, the person who who uh, was accused of doing X, that we're putting you on notice, and and you know we will be keeping a close eye on on how you behave and act in the future, so that if this comes up again, we already have something. And and really, what needs to happen too is that. Along with that, we need to have uh, something essentially for for people who are doing festivals is to have someone who is going to actually take anything like this and document it. You know, document the accounts, document it, and save it on file so that there is actually a history to refer to, an objective history of documentation. Um, you know, that's 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 how things are conducted. In, in more mainstream uh, events, like it. And, and again, you know that that documentation can actually prove quite helpful because at that point, then we say, okay, we actually have a history here that we can point to that says, you know, this occurred then, this occurred then, this occurred then, and so now we can take action on it. That's a
4: great point. I mean, as much of a words nerd as I am, I've never written any of this stuff down except for blog posts where I speak vaguely about. The, the specific behaviors as a teaching method. I've never documented the stuff that I know about specific people. Um, I don't know what I would do with that other than specifics for my own group. but yeah, that's that's a really that's an amazing point. I mean, and one of the things that's possible when you have that documentation, if you' if every group has that system, then I can contact other local leaders and say, "Hey, you know, so this complaint was brought to me about this person, so just to let you know if they show up at your at your group, um, so you know, I I haven't been able to get enough data to, to make a decision on kicking them out. But just so you know, this is going on in case they're engaging in behavior like that in your group. I'd like to know about it. Um, I've tried to engage in relationships like that with local community members, but often what I hear is, "Well, we'll make our own decision," or uh, "Stop being a rumor monger." I'm like, you know, <laughs> I'm 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 sharing information here that. Could keep somebody from getting, you know, I mean, I actually actually I have there. There is a convicted uh, child sex offender in who has used to come to my events and he no longer comes to my events. He goes to one of the other groups uh, events. They don't have kids at their event. And so, um, you know, I've talked to that group leader and he pretty much is like, well, you know, I, I can make space for him it's fine. And I'm like, all right, just, you know, just so you know, he has a file, uh, you know, pretty extensive file. So, um, you know, I mean, I check with the local
1: police department. You already know it's there. Oh, sorry.
4: Oh yeah. No, just here's the link. Here's the sex offender page. You know, he really -hmm. shouldn't be around kids. Um,
2: It's it's almost like what we need as part of the pegging community is a one-stop shop where, you know, people can get information for um, pagan speakers, you know, how to get a hold of them, et cetera, et cetera. Um, maybe, you know, extend it even a, in, insofar as much as to have a list of people who would be interested in doing interviews for articles and podcasts and the like. And on the other side of that coin, have a a a way to report any suspicious activities by either, you know, presenters, vendors, musicians, or attendees, and then, you know, when you're when you're setting up an event, you can be like, hey, you know, I'd like to have these people, so you know, I go to, to this group that that has this this um, resource and you know I, I i get the contact information for these people and you know then i can also get you know a, a report that shows any reports of suspicious or you know accusations or anything for any of the the vendors and, and such that i'm inviting
1: now that would yeah. be an interesting thing to see happen I, I i i personally don't know the logistics for doing that but i'm sure there is somebody out there who does
4: right and i mean and that's where and that's where i think again we come into the i mean again the difficulty becomes um and i mean i feel weird saying this uh but i mean i've i've had a few stalkers um, on Facebook, for instance. <laughs> I feel very yay, weird Facebook. saying that because I'm... Huh, what's that? Yay, oh, yay, Facebook, Facebook. yeah, Facebook. And, I mean, like, people will start telling me really inappropriate stuff, and I'm like... <laughs> Whoa. Um, you know, and, and it's... I just didn't even record their information I just blocked them you know and now I'm kind of going back going I really should have tracked that and documented what they were saying Um, but I didn't but that's something I will definitely be doing going forward Um, but that's that is that that's the one risk to people who are out in the public doing presenting work is that um, we we tend to attract the occasional stalker type. And so that's why I think it's so important to have balance and to not do the, what I guess I'm going to call the, the Patriot Act for, for pagans. Um, We can't just kick people out of things for hearsay, but at the same time we have to listen to victims. We have to be able to discern what's going on. Um, It's, you know, it's, it's just as rough as the, as the question of, do we, do we have, do we create a TSA that's going to search everybody's everything just so they can get on a plane for the, um, you know, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, we don't want the pagan Patriot Act, but at the same time, we need these, these ways to, um, to report on what's going on and, and find ways to protect people and listen to people who are, are, are being harmed.
1: Okay. Um, We seem to be winding down on our energy for the discussion tonight, which is fine. We're five minutes before the end of the live broadcast. So um, I do know at this point that we're probably going to go a little over that time, so some of our uh, live listeners might not catch everything. But I wanted to say thank you to both Shauna Ora Knight and Taylor Elwood for joining us for this very, difficult conversation, uh, as well as say thank you to our listeners, both live and archive, for uh, having the, the interest and the, the gumption to listen to this conversation, even though for many it may trigger something uh, for them psychologically, emotionally, etc., uh, and, and in no way am I trying to be dismissive with that, um, as well as, of course, thanking Kali Sarah for her participation. Um, this is a conversation that needed to happen. Unfortunately, uh, what rotted about was such a prominent figure within the pagan community being essentially caught red-handed, I suppose you could say, at least uh, by his own admission and bringing this to the forefront of the entire community's mind. Uh, it's not how I would have wanted to address it, but it, it's, it's done, and we're talking about it. Lots of people are talking about it. It's all over Facebook. It's all over the pagan blogosphere. I'm sure it's being discussed on other podcasts or will be discussed on other podcasts, And like I said, it's a conversation that needed to happen. Unfortunately, it had to happen the way that it did. I'd also like to give both of you, Shauna and Taylor, the opportunity to uh, let our listeners know where they might be able to find more of uh, your own work, your writings, or uh, other contact information that you would like to share. Shauna, would you like to start?
4: Sure. Uh, Well, actually, so... uh, Based in part on this conversation and also just the past days, I've been working up a blog post dealing with a lot of this stuff. So um, on my on my main blog, shaunaora.wordpress.com, um, Within the next, I'm probably going to post it tonight, but it might not be t- till tomorrow. I am going to be posting about this, and I have I have other articles I've written about sex and ethics and and abuse, and uh, I'll be linking those from it. So if you if you're interested in reading more on those topics, I'm going to be posting kind of a roundup on that. And uh, certainly, if anybody wants to talk to me about these issues or has ideas or or things, you can send me a message on Facebook. Whether or not we're friends, I'll I'll get it. And uh, you could also send me an email, ShaunaAura at gmail dot com, about any of that. So those are those are places where you can find
3: me.
0: And, uh, And Taylor.
3: You can uh, yes. You can find well. You can find uh, the publisher, Amanian Press at amanian-press.com, and uh, you can find me at magicalexperiments.com. And uh, you can also find me on Facebook and send a message that way, or to my email address, magicalexperiments@yahoo.com. And uh, I just want to mention that Shauna and I are going to be putting together an anthology on pagan leadership which will be uh, continuing to address some of these issues in that, as well as, of course, in her own work.
1: I'm glad you mentioned yep. that. I was wanting to bring it up in some way or another, but not necessarily as any part of the conversation tonight other than here at the end, because uh, <laughs> it it would be a bit of a distraction. Um, I know I've been sharing the information on uh, submissions and such for that anthology with some of the leaders that I know that uh, may not have already been aware of it so um, um, you're probably going to be getting some interesting submissions yeah excellent which we I know is what you're it. looking forward to yeah yeah. we um, actually
4: we just got our first submission for it so that was exciting that just came through so. wonderful
1: um, Kali Sarah did you have anything you wanted to say to conclude tonight
2: There will be a part two.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the the part two will will probably be a little less triggering in some regards, but probably more so in others. So go ahead, Sarah.
2: Well, um, at least two things that I can think of just off the top of my head that we should be discussing in part two is the concept of Um, what it means to give and receive consent and how to negotiate that as well as knock on wood, we can get um, Amber from the uh, the officers of Avalon to come on and talk about how the, the essentially the best practices for reporting situations, both to, um, to convention leaders, as well as to the police if it gets to that point, so you know those are those are at least two things that we will address if I have to destroy people to do it
1: and we will be doing that as soon as we can as a follow up um most likely in the next two or three weeks. Um, giving everybody uh, involved the opportunity to get uh, their notes together, if you will, as well as uh, reaching out to a couple of uh, potential guests who work in uh, the field of psychology so that they can address that aspect of things. Um, so it, it it's it could be more than a, a part two. It could be a part three as well, which we tend to wind up doing um, want to uh, once again thank you all for participating in this uh, very, like I've said before and many times already, difficult conversation, uh, and, uh, and thank you for being as open and uh, honest about uh, your own experiences. And I suppose that being said, since we are no longer on the live feed, we might as well just uh, say our thank yous and goodbyes for our archive listeners and uh, start discussing
3: off-air plans for the Part 2. Yep. Well, thank you. Uh, thank, thank you very much for having me on here. I really appreciate it. And, uh, and I, I, uh, not it wasn't necessarily the way I wanted to, to be on your show the first time, but, you know, this is such an well, important topic, and I'm glad that we're really addressing it. And I hope that we can turn this into something very productive for the community overall.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Agreed there. All right, and uh, for those who are listening in archive, I do have a piece of music to send this out with to help ground after all of this, uh, and that is going to be uh, Meta Prayer, also by Celia. We started out with her from the same CD called For the Asking. So um, here we go with that. Thank you all once again for your participation, your patience, and uh, your attention.